Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast. Join me every other week to hear data professionals discuss how data is used in various industries, get inspired, get your field of tips to help you overcome challenges on your career, and feel great. Let's get straight into it. Hello, I am bringing you another product down episode. And you will see throughout this episode that we had no clue about what was going to happen. We did not know we were going to be um, in lockdown very soon. But we had so much fun. This is a great episode. I hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm here with Katrina Lindsay, Head of People Analytics at Avon. I met Katrina a few weeks ago at a public speaking workshop and was really impressed by her enthusiasm and then how really she cares deeply about helping more girls to get into data and helping them to understand the importance of data career and how great it can be. Katrina is also the first person I met working with people analytics and I'm really, really interested in hearing everything she has to say today. Hi, oh, Katrina. Yeah, hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, really good. Uh, so I thought you could tell us a bit more about your role at Avon, so what Avon is doing, what's your role there, and then what sure. kind of business problems you're solving. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, Avon's such a, um, an iconic brand. I mean, everyone has heard of it. I can honestly say that no one I've ever said to, oh, I work for Avon, has said, oh, who are they? Very everyone true. sort of says, you know, my mum used to buy Avon or my auntie was an Avon lady. Like it's just, um, just so well, so well known. Um, and Avon was established um, many years ago, over 130 years ago by a man in the US. And amazingly, he didn't set out to create a beauty company at all. It was very much, he was a, a traveling book salesman. And he's, a lot of the women, a lot of the people on the doorsteps as he was selling were women. So he, he started offering perfume as well as a gift. And he just realized that they absolutely loved the perfume. So he started to actually mix some of those fragrances himself. And, but what I think was so visionary was that he decided to recruit some of those early customers, some of, the, some of those women, to be his sales representatives. So that's how the, the, the iconic sort of direct selling model began at Avon. And this still absolutely lives on today. So we still have now, uh, there are about 6 million Avon representatives. That's the Avon ladies of old, Avon representatives around the world. Um, and we obviously have this now alongside our, uh, digital um, side of the business so of course you can buy online and whilst the company's grown enormously in the past hundred years it's it still absolutely continues with the, the power of that direct selling model and it really stands for the same beliefs that um, that our founder had in terms of this power of kind of the community and being passionate about giving women an opportunity to to, to empower them you know to be um, take financial responsibility for their families so now um, we're in over 60 countries we also really support women in causes that we champion. The Avon Foundation looks to sort of spread the word about breast cancer awareness, um, and it's really looking um, to help to end gender-based violence against um, women and girls. So as you can tell, the Avon really brands itself as being, you know, for women. Um, and it actually comes into the workplace as well. It's not just about representatives. So, for example, in our R&D department, 70% of, of our scientists are women. So, um, yeah. And we're actually in a really, I should also mention, of course, we're in a really interesting point in Avon's career. 
Uh, we've just become part of the Natura group, so we've been bought by a Brazilian um, global cosmetics group who are based uh, yeah, in Brazil, in Latin America, and they also own Body Shop and ESOC, so we're now part of this, this group. Uh, and the sale was just completed in January, so this is you know, really new news. And the resulting group's going to be the fourth largest pure beauty company in, in the world. So it feels like a, a really great fit with those companies, and it's yeah, a very exciting time. Yeah, it does sound like exciting times indeed. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you also asked me about my role. So, um, so I'm in people analytics, and this means I work in HR, um, supporting the whole of the HR agenda. So, um, you know, across the, the talent team, um, conversation benefits teams, HR operations, and all the, the HR business partners who, you know, work with all, who partner with, obviously, all the people across the business from, you know, the commercial business, global functions such as our supply chain, R&D, so therefore, I really get involved in providing people data to all parts of the business. So, so what it really means is, it, at its most basic, it can be, you know, a count of the number of employees by location or by, uh, by job function. So that's the sort of basic uh, regular reporting that, that, that we can do. Um, but we also try to serve, to serve up the information for our leaders and our HR teams. In a, so it's a very much a self-serve model. So we try to aim for that where we can. And a good example might be, attrition rates so or people might know that as employee churn or employee staff turnover so those rates so we have those set up as dashboards within our hr system so we look to as much as possible to self-serve that data so that senior leaders and hr teams can explore the attrition in their parts of the business and see where where there might be um issues that they want to address that's a completely foreign area for me because I think most of my career I've worked in smaller organizations. Yeah. So it's just you somewhere then you can see basically everybody who is in the company from where yeah. you see it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So seeing how how much you can do just using data in a bigger business but for HR because I guess yeah. in the smaller companies, these kind of things would never happen because there, there is no need. Yeah, I mean, the attrition I've just talked about is obviously kind of looking backwards. It's kind of, it's just reporting in, in, in its simplest form on, you know, what were our attrition rates and where were they by, you know, geographical area or management level or um, job function. So I would say in Avon, we're absolutely early in our journey of people analytics. So I guess what I've just described there isn't, um, it's really reporting, but the next stage um, would be where you can maybe try and predict. So you could use sort of data science to really look at, by looking at who's left um, and the people we have in the business and looking at various attributes of each person, you could start to bring up a model of, you know, who looks like they're going to leave. So that's, I mean, that's into the future. That's something we absolutely haven't done yet, but that's, that's again where people analytics can go to really start predicting, so predictive modeling. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about your journey to data and also to this current role at Avon where you are now? Yeah, um, yeah, I think this, yeah, this is absolutely about sort of, yeah, owning my career and not just going with the flow. And that's something I think, I had no strategy for my career for, for many years. And at the start, all I really knew was that I was good at maths and I did, you know, I was good at passing maths exams. Um, so I trained as a chartered accountant um, and, you know, and I did really well at that. And I think if I focused on something academic, I could really put the work in and excel at it. Um, but I think after that, I found myself in charge of my career for the first time. And that's really when I just sort of floundered a bit. And I just took opportunities as they came. So it meant that, for example, I got headhunted into, 
investment banking. Um, and my, my, drink, my, my main driver, if you like, for taking the headhunters call, I remember, was uh, I was working uh, as a, an auditor and, you know, for one of the big four accounting firms. And I just felt a bit like, oh, you know, a bit bored of audit. But the point was, I see now I could have, why didn't I think about moving to another department there? You know, I didn't think about it. I didn't, I could have specialised in tax or I could have moved to the consulting arm of the business. But, you know, I was offered a move, so I took it. Uh, and it was partly about, um, it was very good money. And that's fine if your driver is money. Um, but whilst I liked the idea of more money, I know that for me, money is not, definitely not one of my main drivers. So one of my main motivators. And then, and I enjoyed the buzz of investment banking. But when, after I left, I was sort of looking for something different. So then I did some, some freelance work for a while, using the strengths that I'd learnt in, in banking, which was Excel modelling and, and access and, and VBA and building solutions. So that led me to do, that, do, do a really great piece of work for this small public sector consultancy. Yeah, so I, so I moved to this public sector consultancy, did some really great, like an Excel VBA model for them. And then they really wanted me to join them. And I was, you know, it was great. I really loved the little company. And it was, you know, I'd, I'd really shown them my strengths. But as soon as I got the job, I was being given sort of bids and pitches to write for new business. And, and you know, it just didn't, that, you know, I, I clearly hadn't asked the right questions when I decided to join them. And they hadn't asked the right questions of me either. You know what I mean? It was, it was um, yeah, just... Um, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt you on this. Uh, it's really interesting because I've had so many experiences where... So you go to for an interview thinking, okay, this is what it's going to be. Yeah. Uh, you interview for the job, you get excited about it, and then you get there, and it's a completely different job in the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm happy yeah. to see that I'm not the only one doing <laughs> this. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a disaster. I think it was just, uh, and I worked there for a number of years, I, and there were loads of great projects. I did some, um, we did some really interesting work around, like, capacity planning for a new hospital build. Um, and for, for an NHS trust. So there's some really interesting work that I loved, I guess. But I mean, I think for me, it's about finding your purpose and, you know, what's important to you. It's about, I think it's just really important to love what you do. And I think some of those things I've just described, I didn't love what I did. I mean, I, there were bits of it I loved. So I don't know, going back to the investment banking, and I've talked about how, you know, I earned good money and I enjoyed the buzz. I really enjoyed the buzz of the city. Um, and I learned a lot there, you know, that's where I really learned to use Excel and do spreadsheet modeling really, really powerfully. But I had this underlying feeling that, you know, I was earning money for me in the bank and at that point in my career, and I, and I didn't feel good about it underlying. I mean, it wasn't like I went, I thought of it every day, but I didn't, it sort of didn't sit well with me. And, I, and then I think when I moved, made the move to that, the, the public sector consultancy I've mentioned, at least there I felt like, you know, we were doing work for the Department of Health or... NHS Trust doing the capacity modelling, for example, that I talked about. So although, you know, okay, I'm not, I wasn't being a doctor or a nurse or a social worker, but I felt a better use of my modelling, my spreadsheet modelling skills, you know, it had more purpose. And that, that was the sort of thing that I know was a really good move for me in terms of feeling better about the place where I worked and it sort of fit, fitted with my own values. What would you say was the moment where you clicked and then you realised, oh, wow, I need to get a job that goes along with my values and will fit my purpose? I mean, if I'm honest, part of that happened because I got made redundant. So, um, as I said, I'm, I'm working now in people analytics at Avon and it's a really up and coming area. I feel like I found my niche, but, you know, three or four years ago, it was really different. I was made redundant. My self-confidence was at an all-time low. And part of that was because the organisation I was at was experiencing difficult times, hence the, the redundancies. But... It was also that I felt I hadn't done 
I suppose because of the difficulties of the company as well, I hadn't had a really good year to 18 months. It had been a sort of difficult time and I didn't feel I'd delivered lots of great work in that time. So my confidence really was at an all-time low. So that made me really sort of pause. I really wanted to do that sort of bit of self-reflection and for the first time really question, you know, what are my strengths and what are my, more importantly, what are my other interests or areas, you know, other interests that I might have that I, and skills that I'm not using um, and what other aspects do I want in my, my role and also what sort of organisation I wanted to work for. So I really sort of paused at that point and in a recent previous role I'd worked really closely with the HR and finance teams and I was just really struck by how little data the, the HR um, person was able to bring bring to meetings and I, it just that really just sort of yeah it sparked an interest in me so that was why when I left um, I really started to read up about you know what HR analytics or people analytics was and and that set me off on that track I was like right, I'm going to absolutely get into that field so it was a really conscious decision to apply for jobs in HR such as HR reporting manager or HRIS analyst and I think having a, having a job title to sort of search for and to really sort of position and point myself at was really powerful it's probably the first time I'd ever done that like thought of the job title I wanted to go for it's really great that you you were able to put a name on it and on what you wanted to do I remember struggling a bit a few years ago uh, wondering how oh, what do I want to do etc and mm. it was a bit more extreme I guess because I went to the point where I even tried baking so I thought okay <laughs> I, thought, I didn't know yeah that's <laughs> okay I don't know what to do next uh, I'm not entirely sure I'm happy with what I'm doing right now let me try something different and then I started well, there's, always going. there's always room for one more great bake yeah. bakers or cake shop right yeah clearly <laughs> And plus, I love cake, so I thought, okay, let me try. <laughs> so I remember walking into this bakery on a Saturday morning and telling them, can I come and bake with you on Saturdays? And they actually said yes. So they went, yes, you can come and try it out. So I went there. Uh, on, it was really hard, you know, so I had to wake up at four in the morning. So me being used to be in front of my laptop every single day and then yeah. doing data, etc. So I had to wake up at four in the morning, go to the bakery, start working at five and yeah. being up on my feet until 1.30 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, oh my Lord. Yeah. So I did that for three months on Saturdays. I am not going into baking, I'm telling you, but, but it was quite fun. Um, but you learn, you learn with each single yeah, time, right? Yeah, I learned, I learned a few tricks and now my cakes at home are much better. And I think this is the, the kind of opportunities you get in London, you know, you just decide, okay, yeah. let me try this out and then, yeah. But I find it interesting that, so you questioned what you really wanted to do and then based on your environment and things you had done before, you were able to pick up things that you liked and what your yeah. strengths were and yeah. what you could relate to and go towards that and this yeah. is something I, I really admire because I think you could just decide oh, okay I don't like it but I will get on with yeah. it and I mean another just a really sort of practical thing as well around that job search I I'd, so I'd been given a you know a career consultant to work with um, as part of my redundancy package and I said to him I really need to work in West London at this point in my life so I'm you know, I've, worked, I've lived in West London for many years and I commuted across to Liverpool Street and Moorgate for many, many years. But at this point, I said to him, I need, you know, I need to be in, if not West London, then, you know, like kind of the West End. Definitely can't yeah. be over in the city. 
And he was very um, disparaging and sort of, you know, you're really limiting your options and this isn't going to happen. He really thought this was, you know, um, not the way to do it. But I targeted, you know, like I say, anything west really of the, of the West End of London. And I found that there were tons of companies, obviously, in that area. And I really targeted it. And I found this job at Avon, which is in West London. So, you know, I think that's also really important just to really stick to the things that you want. And if, you know, if a short commute or if being in a particular area or, you know, something is really important to you, then stick at it. That's really good advice. I'm going to write this down. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when you start your career, I think you you think, okay, maybe you could know what you want sometimes yeah. especially at the start of the career maybe you don't really know what you want but you have mm. a broad idea and it's really easy to let people talk you into doing something different yeah, yeah my advice want? yeah would be you know you reflect and but also to ask for advice I mean I think you don't have to think it all through yourself which I think is a tendency for me to try and always think things through myself um, but you know ask for advice as you size up opportunities and not rush into anything um, and advice I was once given, which I'm sure some people will have heard, is that, you know, your, ca- your career is a marathon, not a sprint. So, you know, it's really worth looking ahead to where the next job move will take you, i.e. is it taking me on the path towards my end goal of being somewhere that I'm going to really love, love the role. And that said, you know, I'm, I guess I'm the example of where by not doing that, I've had a career that has meandered. Um, I've been through different industries, I guess, with an with a underlying skill set taking me through it all. You know, if you if you go off the ball and, you know, take your eye off the ball uh, and go off the boil, I think that's what I meant. Uh, you know, you meander a bit, but it's not the end of the world. You just set yourself straight. At whichever point you find yourself, just set yourself on that, that straight path again and, um, you know, just keep going. Going towards um, your younger self when you said you were uh, in love with mathematics and really good <laughs> at it. Yeah. Uh, did, did you think uh, mathematics was going to get you a job in data oh that's a good question i i mean i don't i don't think i knew that no not when i was really young but all i knew was that i was good at maths and i think there's some really there's some real positives about the way i think back on my younger self loving maths and then there's maybe some negatives so and to be a girl who's good at maths it was yeah really encouraging it was amazing but i can see now that it wasn't very balanced and when you get into the world of work you do need to have other skills other than just being highly numerate you know, such as, I don't know, being able to write a business case for something, being able to reason an argument, being able to sort of tell a story with, with um, uh, you know, with data. So being able to tell a story, and that's something I've learned. But, and it's about being able to present your work. And by that, I don't even mean sort of formal presentations. I just mean, yeah, being able to voice an opinion, having the confidence that your point of view is really valid. And I think emerging from university with a first in maths, I'd become very limited in that respect. That hadn't been something I'd learned in my degree at all. It hadn't given me any skills in in that sense, I think I hid, hid behind the maths. I was just, I was good at the maths. So I think, um, yeah, it's really important at that stage, I think, to, if someone can, I don't think this would have been right for me, if you can stay broader with your subjects, let's say A-level. So, you know, I did all maths and sciences, but, you know, I think combining maths with English or with another language, you know, is really powerful if, if that's right for you. Um, if I look back, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I'd definitely have still done the same subjects because that, for me, I think was the right thing. But it was at the point where I left the structure of education. Um, so I did chartered accountancy, which although obviously I was working, um, there was a lot of structure around the fact there were still these exams. So I think it was when I emerged after that that I really um, drifted. And, and that sort of brings us on to, I mean, 
the idea of mentors I don't know what you think about the sort of idea of having a mentor or being a mentor yeah uh, I think it's really important uh, I was actually discussing it with my partner like an hour ago I am not joking we just wake up in the morning and then start talking about mentors and having completely <laughs> different opinions it's just that it doesn't even have to be formal I'm not even talking about formal mentorship programs you know I'm talking about like you say a role model so someone that you work with it might even be just one aspect of what the way they do something or the area they work in that is role modeling something for you you know but if you can learn from them and have have someone that you can ask advice from um I think one of the key things as well is someone that challenges you because that's what I feel like I haven't done to, earlier in my career I was allowed to drift as we've used that word and to be in my comfort zone someone just to challenge you and to say no hang on you know you, what do you think about this and why didn't you try that and that would have just been so powerful for me I can see it now yeah uh, so, you know, when I was telling you the story about the bakery, etc. So yeah. this, this, all, this all started from a really sad story. So it's a few years ago, I lost my aunt, who was like a mom to me, really, and oh, wow. also yeah. my grandma. Yeah. And that brought me in a spiral of obviously yeah. the family's fights, 11 hours on the plane away. Uh, so I was in London just trying to grieve. And it made me question my career choices. So I became very unhappy because first of all, I was grieving far from my family and also doing some work where I was struggling to find my, my space in. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where I, I found the importance of mentors and role models, even not, as you said, it does not have to be formal. So it's just, especially women, because yeah. women, you manage to relate to them well, I mean, I did manage to relate to them easier. So it, I find mm. it easier to talk about how I was feeling and then all these mm. questioning I had about my career, about my life, etc. And then just sitting there for breakfast, talking about all these things. I went from being in a really, really dark place in my life to feeling so much more confident in my abilities. It's just sometimes just one conversation can have such a massive impact on your life and now I'm still working for the same company I was working with before but just because I spoke to one or two women who helped me figure out my strengths figure out what I really was after and also helping me understand what was going on in my life mm -hmm. and how I could go over this that completely changed the way I was mm. seeing things and then the way I feel really I feel so much better mm. now yeah. uh, so this is how important it is for me yeah. yeah no I agree I think it's that thing about yeah so it's, it's like it's just your life was still your life actually still the same but it's been reframed like you're, you're just seeing it through a new pair of eyes I was wondering you did mention getting forced out of your comfort zone when you were doing mathematics because you were a bit hiding behind it so what, what would you say would be the impact of, of that on your... So is this something you're applying to your current life now? Uh, oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, the bottom line is now, I, some of the things I hid behind, or some, some, I suppose for me, one of the things I was definitely lacking confidence when I was a lot younger was, um, you know, presenting myself, present, you know, not, not even as formal as public speaking, but, you know, presenting yourself in meetings and presenting your ideas. Um, and that, that sort of, yeah, lack of confidence I definitely shied away from you know I would never have volunteered to do a talk on something or to 
you know, I would never have stepped up to, to volunteer for that. If I had to do it, sometimes I would do it. But I think the bit that relates to my career is that I, I think so subconsciously, I wouldn't say I ever actively thought this, but I think I steered away from roles where I thought there would be more of that. So I was very happy. I'd look at the technical side of a role and think, oh, I can definitely do that. But if I thought, wow, that might get me into, gosh, I might have to talk about that. Uh, I might have to go to a conference and talk about that, or I might have to um, present on that. I think subconsciously, I just veered away from things where that might get me into that situation, which is obviously very career limiting. Um, so I think that's the direct impact that, that that's had. So, and it doesn't go away. So the point is, if you don't address it, you aren't ever going to get better, better at that thing. So whatever your... Um, you know your development area is you can choose to develop it or not and ultimately i realized a while ago you know i have to come out of my comfort zone and get better at this or it's always going to limit me so i've done that so now um i will uh seize opportunities and even if it's going to be a bit nerve-wracking i will do them and then of yeah. course the next time it isn't as nerve-wracking so a, a few a couple of months ago i just um was asked to speak and it was literally for a couple of minutes but it was part of our um, a global webinar that was being done. So in front of me, there were only about say 50 people that I was talking to, but it was being broadcast, rec you know, rec recorded, but also broadcast live across the whole of the business. So, you know, there were literally thousands of people on the end of the webinar. I could have got out of it. I could definitely have said, oh no, I'm, you know, made an excuse that meant I couldn't do it. And I just absolutely, you know, now I wouldn't think of doing that, but I know my younger self would definitely have just managed to think of a way of getting out of it if they could. So, yeah, so I did that and it, it actually went really well. And I was, yeah, you just feel proud of yourself afterwards and it's, it's always easier the next time. So did you enjoy doing it? I enjoyed at the precise moment when I was up there starting to do it. I was absolutely fine, you know, but the minutes before I was terrified. But, you know, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to do it right. You got to do it. Yeah. Now I'm just consciously, you know, seizing the opportunities. So. Is there any advice you would give to someone who is starting a career in data analytics or data science, or is at a place in their career where they want to, to progress in their career? I think one thing we haven't maybe mentioned, which I think answers this is about networking. And I mean, I think that word for some people just, they think, oh, you know, networking, what does that mean? Or, you know, does that mean going to horrible drinks receptions and talking to people I don't like, you know, or I've got nothing in common with, but I found that really powerful. So I think I used to just work, work somewhere. I'd work really, really hard, but I didn't have maybe the confidence and I didn't have, yeah, I didn't look outside my organization. So an example might be when, uh, when I worked at the public sector consultancy, I think I always felt a lack of confidence because I didn't have that. I thought, oh, if I, if I reach out and go to something where I have to talk about my work, I can do that bit but I'm, I felt really uncomfortable that I hadn't got the context so I didn't know enough about the policy area let's say that my modeling was part of or I didn't know broadly enough about how the NHS worked or government and I think so it's important I think to get into to, to think about the career think about the organization you're going to work for or the area you're going to work for and then then it becomes you know it's sort of self-fulfilling I really love going to network with other people either in, de in the just more broadly in the field of data or in people analytics because i'm really enjoying it so you you know i learn 
And that's the way to learn because I can't go on a course to learn about people analytics. Even if there was one, it would be out of date by the time I left, left the room. You know, it's, yeah. it's networking with other people to share ideas. And so I just think there's something about, um, yeah, just thinking broadly. So, so data is in everything. So you can wrap your, you know, you can put your career, you can wrap your the data part of a career in any organization, any um, type of industry. So find something that you love and, yeah, and use network, uh, the idea of networking to, to reach out and just talk, you know, talk about what you do with other people. And it links, I guess, to mentoring, you know, it's that talking about things with other people and, you know, you get a little bit of insight from one person and hear something really interesting from another. So I think that's really important rather than focusing on being good at whatever the particular maybe data science skill you have. It, you need to be a bit broader. I think being broader um, and having those other skills is just really important. Yeah. So I guess what you're saying is going to some events and then being open to meeting new people and having conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Agreed. Uh, although networking is a very scary thing <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, true. It's true. Yeah, I have but this thing where I wouldn't say I'm shy, but I can come across as shy sometimes, especially if I'm new in an environment. And I'm also uh, an introvert. So I, I find myself sometimes just going to events really, really early, yeah. find one or two people who are early like me and in a corner, and I would just stick with them for the whole yeah. evening. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, if, you're right, though, if you're, not, if you're not an extrovert or it's, yeah, those can be awkward. Um, I guess it's about, but the other thing you can do is just volunteer more or not volunteer, but step up at work to go and do some new, some, if there's some initiative at work, whether it's a, you know charity fun run or whether it's a um you know an event at work that's going to be you know a business event something that your your company's doing you know just whereas you might think oh well why would i bother going think about well why don't i go i might just meet someone else from within the company and wow i didn't know our company also did that so yeah. well, what, what bad can happen you just might meet a few people who are a bit boring or you might have some really <laughs> great conversations and you know and then great new opportunities come out of it yeah <laughs> So I guess that brings us to the, the end of this episode. No, it's been great chatting to you. It was really nice talking to you too, Katrina. Thank you for listening to the Women in Data podcast. If you would like to register to the community, all you need to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. It's free and easy. Please feel free to share the link with anyone you think would benefit from being part of the community. You can also follow us on social media, so LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you and have some feedback that will help us enhance the content and bring the guests you want to hear from. Have a great day.